Hello and welcome to the MB Om podcast, where you will learn to master the business of yoga with guests from around the world who have experienced becoming successful yoga teachers, studio owners, and much more. Now, here's your host, Amanda Kingsmith. Hello and welcome to another episode of the MBM Podcast. I'm Amanda and I'll be your host for this and all episodes of the show. Today on the podcast, I am super excited to be joined by Christine Jargaberry. And Christine joined me all the way from the UK. And on this episode of the podcast, we talk about everything from how she first got into yoga, what inspired her to become a yoga teacher, how she learned about scoliosis and how this ended up becoming the niche that she works in. We talked about some of the top things that every yoga teacher needs to know about scoliosis and how to make our classes more accessible to people suffering from back pain. We also talk about her business journey and some of the biggest business lessons that she's learned in her career. Before we dive into the episode with Christine, just a few words from our sponsors. Hello and welcome to another episode of the MBM podcast. My name is Amanda and I'll be your host for this and all episodes of the show. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by Offering Tree. When you're a yoga teacher and you're trying to build your digital presence, it can be daunting. First, you might need a website. There are a lot of great tools for building websites like WordPress, Wix, and Squarespace. Then you need a way to email your students. Again, there are tools for that like MailChimp and Constant Contact, but that's another account to pay for and a password to remember. Then you need a way to schedule and register your students. Again, there are tools for that, but it's another account to create and pay for and another password to remember. Oh, wait, how do I integrate my scheduling tool with my website? There are so many things to remember. So instead of putting all of this stuff off for another day because it's too daunting, let me tell you about a better way. Offering Tree set out to make creating your digital presence fun, easy, and affordable. With one account, you can create a website in minutes that has your schedule built right in. They also have email marketing tools to collect email addresses, send newsletters, and automated emails to your subscribers. It all works seamlessly together with one account and one subscription. To learn more about what Offering Tree can do for your digital presence, visit offeringtree.com forward slash MBOM. Offering Tree has been supporting MBOM for close to a year now, and I not only love the product, but I also love the people. The team at Offering Tree is super awesome. They are a small business just like you and me, and they have great customer service for anything that you need. And Offering Tree is providing special pricing for MBOM listeners. So be sure to visit offeringtree.com forward slash MBOM to receive your discount. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you in part by Fave Yogis. The Fave Yogis app is back with new features for teachers that let you create and manage your own private classes while making payment and registration a breeze. Do you have regular private clients? Make life easier with AutoPay. Forget about remembering to Venmo or if you're Canadian, try some sort of e-transfer or PayPal combination. You can use AutoPay to enable repeat payments and keep calendars in sync with classes. Google Calendar integration automatically updates teachers and student classes when you make changes. It's still just your yoga, teachers add classes, students add teachers, and teachers and students stay connected. So head on over to the app store on your device and find Fave Yogis. It's F-A-V-Y-O-G-I-S. On top of that, it's totally free to download and give a try. So head on over to your app store and find Fave Yogis. F-A-V-Y-O-G-I-S. Oh, and make sure you use code M-B-O-M-M-B-O-M and let them know that I sent you. 
All right, without further ado, here is Christine. Christine, welcome to the podcast today. I'm super excited to have you here with me. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I am so excited for this conversation. I have never talked to anyone who specializes in scoliosis, and I don't really know much about that from the teaching side of things outside of what I I learned, which was very, very basic in my teacher training. But I want to back up and talk a little bit about your yoga story. Can you tell me how you first got into yoga? Um, Yes, yes, of course I can. Um, So I started in my early 20s. It was when I first moved to London. So I'm originally from Germany and I moved to London um, 15 years ago now. And in the beginning, I was um, I was single. I was on my own. I was having lots of fun in in London. Um, but I had all already been suffering from back pain, kind of since my late teenage years, um, I would say. So I I was diagnosed with scoliosis quite early on. So in in Germany, we have um, kind of routine checkups with the with the GP and they um, diagnosed it very, very early on. And I had already lots of treatments and all of that. Um, when I was younger, um, I had a heel lift in my shoes. So I also have a, a leg length difference. Um, so it was always just something that I had to kind of, I knew I always have to do some sort of exercise. Um, and it was the only thing that kind of made me feel better. So I did try all of the the, the other therapies and, um, you know, chiropractors, physios, osteopaths, all of that helped. Um, but then obviously in my early 20s, I didn't have a huge amount of money to <laughs> go have like weekly massages and treatments and all of that. And I always enjoyed moving. I, I was always quite um, enjoying exercise. I started with Pilates. Um, and then in the same studio where they, they were offering Pilates classes, they also offered yoga. So I tried it out. Um, the first time I went, it was it was a Shivananda class, I think. Um, I found it quite, um, it was very spiritual and I could not handle it at all. <laughs> I found it really, really strange and um, didn't really connect with it straight away. But after the first class, even, I felt completely different. So I felt so much better in my body. Um, So I I thought, well, it's it's a little bit strange, but I need to kind of explore this a little bit more. So I started going to classes um, regularly. I really got into it. Um, Again, I was was very young and um, I had lots of energy. So... I, I kind of got into the faster practices straight away and I loved Ashtanga yoga and um, felt really strong, felt really good in my body. And then it kind of, there came a point um, where I felt like, not that my scoliosis was was holding me back, but um, yes, in a way it was because I felt like, I felt really lopsided. I felt really like one side of my body is a lot stronger than my other side. And especially with the faster um, Ashtanga practice, I felt like I was almost making it worse at some point. So I kind of got better and then it got worse again. And then that's when I kind of started to to look more into, um, well, I didn't look look into it at all. I didn't know it it existed. But one of my teachers showed me an article about um, a lady in America called Elise Browning-Miller, who specializes in yoga specifically for scoliosis. 
So, um, yeah, and then from then, then on, I kind of started seeking teachers that um, knew about scoliosis and that I, I started kind of gravitating more towards the, the slower, the mindful practices where I could really explore um, my body, really work on my body awareness. And I took loads of one-to-one um, -one sessions with one teacher in, in London um, who has greatly influenced me as well. And then kind of my, my practice started to, to kind of change over the years. So, um, yeah, this is kind of like definitely part of my, of my yoga journey. That's kind of how I got into it. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's so inspiring to hear. And yeah, I mean, from what I've been trained with scoliosis, I remember my first 200 hour, one of the teachers kind of walked us through like how, like we looked at each other's spines and stuff like that and looked at like, okay, if somebody like lifts both their arms, like how does that look? And it is interesting to hear that, you know, the faster pace yoga would, would make your back feel worse. Like I, I feel like it makes sense to me, like from an anatomical standpoint, it's like if your hips are uneven and your spine has, you know, some unevenness into it, but you're not compensating with those movements. It's like you're compensating your patterns in a different way, which is probably going to end up leading to pain, I would think. And I always think about how I feel like yoga should be healing, not harming, yet there is often a lot of things we're doing in the yoga studio, especially in group settings that are not really great for everybody's body. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously, and um, uh, now as a, as a yoga teacher, I, you know, I understand it obviously from, from the other side as well, that you, you're, you're offering um, kind of a buffet of, <laughs> of yoga poses there. They cannot be good for every single person in the room so it's 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 very very diff difficult from a from a teacher's point of view to kind of offer something that is really um that is accessible to to everyone and that you know um that everyone can can find some sort of benefit in them yeah yeah absolutely so on that note at what point did you decide to become a teacher like what was kind of the the transition point from like okay i'm practicing with a lot of teachers who can really help me with my back pain to like i want to teach this myself mm. yes so um well back then so when i started practicing yoga i was working in the in the travel industry in the hotel industry so i worked in marketing for for hotels for um quite nice hotels in the Indian Ocean. Um, so I was traveling quite a lot and I, I really enjoyed that life. Again, I didn't have any kids back then. Now, now I've got two children. Um, so I, I really enjoyed this. I, you know, I loved being in nice places. I traveled to the Seychelles, to the Maldives, you know, all these fabulous places, quite glamorous. Um, and it, it, it suited me then, um, but I, I was, I kind of felt that it didn't suit my body. I also did a lot of work sitting down. So I did a lot of, again, you know, marketing and a lot of admin stuff, just being at my computer, being at my desk, um, which is, I kind of knew that this job wasn't going to be good for me in the long term. Um, so I already then, so relatively soon, probably five years into my practice, I started, I was like, I, you know, I really enjoy this. I love, I love yoga. It, it, 
there's so much you can learn. There's, you can always learn something more. There's, you never get bored, basically. I'm, I'm a type of person I do get bored relatively easy if I do the same thing all the time. Um, so I always had this kind of, it, it was still at the back of my mind, but um, yeah, I, I already knew that one day, you know, one day I will be a yoga teacher, but it was still relatively far away. And so I started kind of, you know, when you go to a class and I wasn't even a teacher trainee, but I started observing the teachers and just like how they were teaching and how they were adjusting people. And I just found it really fascinating. So I was really into it. Um, but I wasn't brave enough to like quit my job or or even just to start a, a teacher training. I just had too many other things going on in my life. And then it was only when I had my children, so when I um, had my second child, um, that I actually took the step. I was like, right, um, this is my time now. I'm, I'm going to do this teacher training. I wanted to be home for my children. I didn't want to travel anymore. All of that was kind of, uh, it, it didn't really matter to me anymore. Um, I felt in a, in a good place physically. Um, so that's when my when my son was one year old. I started to train, um, and then I I started teaching pretty much um, straight away as well. And um, it was a very general training, by the by the way. It wasn't a specific yoga for scoliosis training in the beginning. It was a very general um, practice. Actually, in the beginning, I thought I was going to be more of a pregnancy yoga teacher because at that time, that's what I was into. Then I started kind of um, doing kids yoga because again I had this connection. It suited me in my where I was in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and then just kind of eventually I came back to this to the uh, to the back hair and to to scoliosis, which is which is what what I teach now. Yeah. Yeah, I was curious kind of what that transition was like for you mm. for you as a teacher. I, I think it's always interesting to hear. And one of the reasons why I love to start the podcast episodes with with the yoga story is I think it's always really cool to hear like how we got where we got to. And uh, for you, when you started teaching, and I guess specifically more to like adults, what was sort of like the transition of like, okay, I'm in this room now and I'm on the other side of this and like offering these general classes, like how did you get to become more specific with teaching for scoliosis? Mm. Yeah, I, I, it was definitely, it was definitely a journey. <laughs> I think I kind of, I had to try out a, a few different things. Um, I kind of, I had to find my voice as a teacher, um, which I think sometimes takes time. Um, I kind of had to, really understand of what what it is that I generally offer, what my style of, of yoga is that I offer. And then um, uh, I did some work with, with Shannon Crow, who you know, obviously as well from the um, Connected Yoga Teacher. Mm -hmm. And um, so she was, she's my mentor and she really helped me kind of develop that side. And she always says that um, she kind of, you know, she she helped. She kind of pushed me in. Not not that she pushed me into the direction, but um, she obviously heard how passionate I was about this subject. And and very often, I guess it's relatively easy to know if 
um, that's the reason why you got into yoga, maybe that's the thing you want to specialize in as well. You know, because obviously that's, that's what you're going to be feeling most connected to. Um, yeah. So I, I did um, a lot of, I did some coaching sessions with her, which which was really, really good. But I almost feel like I, I knew it. I knew it inside of me that this is kind of what I wanted to do. But it's almost like, not that you're asking for permission, but um, yeah, sometimes you just need a little bit of outside help kind of to to realize it yourself. I don't know if that makes sense. No, no, it abs- absolutely makes sense. And I think that that's probably something that, you know, a lot of teachers can relate to who are listening and certainly something I can relate to. I think it's like we all come to a yoga teacher training with, you know, a certain reason why we're there. And, you know, for some people, maybe it's like, oh, I want to start a business on X thing, like teaching yoga for scoliosis because yoga helped me so much and I want to help other people understand how to use it. But other times I think it's just like this modality helped me and I want to offer that. And we don't always know like exactly where we're going with it. And -hmm. sometimes it does take like somebody else to see like, hey, you have all of this information around this, you know, this is something that you could specialize in. Mm. So I think it's really cool that you were able to work with Shannon and that she was able to encourage you in that direction. Yeah. And then it's not a, then it's kind of, there is also this mindset thing um, because obviously the, the only thing that qualified me in the beginning to teach people with scoliosis was that I had scoliosis myself. Um, I didn't have any particular training um, except for obviously my own research, so I, I did a lot of so I did a lot of practice obviously for myself. Where again, you you, you do learn quite a lot, but it, it was all related to my body and my scoliosis. Um, and then you know, then I was kind of we were talking, and I was thinking like, well, well, how will I how will I actually get there? How will I actually because I wanted to to have something that I really know about and um, you know kind of be the the expert in this kind of in in this area, um, and that's when I started my YouTube channel. So that was um, that's about two two years ago now. That I started right. Uh, you know, I'm already I'm I I know more about yoga for scoliosis than most people, just because I you know that's how I practice my yoga. So I'm just going to start putting out videos. So um, that's what I did. And, and every single week, I just did like a short video, like five, 10 minute video um, on YouTube. And, and then I started to, to get questions. I started to get um, people from all over the world kind of contacting me um, with their questions, sometimes just kind of randomly sending me their x-rays and, and uh, asking me, well, you know, I've got this, what shall I do? And then obviously I'm I'm like you know oh, I'm I'm not a doctor <laughs> I'm sharing my practice um, you know but I'm uh, I'm not going to take your X-ray and then tell you do this and this and then you'll be healed you know that's that's not how it works so I, I started to get much more more training on as so I I got I found all the best people that teach yoga for scoliosis so there is Elise Browning Miller I did I did um, two of her teacher trainings and then in the UK we've got Edlin um, Adeline Chung who's also specializing in this area um, 
uh, Elise is also um, a physiotherapist or physical therapist, as they call them, I think, in the US. Um, <laughs> we, call them, we call them physio. I'm Canadian. Physio so, as well. Yeah, yes. we call them physio yeah. in Canada. Yeah. That British um, influence. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah. So, um, yes, so I, I just kind of took in as much as inform information as possible. I, I, I started kind of seeking out all the experts in the UK. Um, I've got really good connections now to um, spinal surgeons. So it's not just yoga related, but basically everything around scoliosis, because I think we have to be aware of what's going on. And there's different types of, of therapies that you can use. And it really helped me with my again with my teaching because i i started to understand a lot more what it is that yoga actually has to offer that is different from um you know going to a physiotherapist or you know any type of like scoliosis treatment which there is so much out there um obviously in terms of information as well yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have so many questions from that. I feel like maybe a good place to start in terms of actually diving into scoliosis is, you know, for people listening, if they don't really know much about scoliosis, like what is scoliosis? Yes, so um, scoliosis is a sideward curvature. So looking from, from the back, if you would look at an x-ray, it's a sideward curvature accompanied by rotation. Um, and they call it a structural scoliosis from anything above 11 degrees. Um, anything below is not called scoliosis, but obviously, you know, this is just because they had to make some sort of kind of border from which um, they're going to call it scoliosis. Um, there's a difference between a functional scoliosis and a structural scoliosis. So functional, for example, would be if you're playing the violin for years and you're, you're, there's a big muscle imbalance, one shoulder is um, kind of up, the other one is down, maybe you have some, some problems in the hips due to that. Um, structural scoliosis is when actually the, the bones are, are shaped in a different way. And the way you can see that is with the, with the Adams forward bend test. Um, so sometimes, uh, we learn this in, in teacher training as well. So when you get um, people to forward bend, not in a, in a yoga way, so not, not folding from the hips, but around it. And then looking from the back, you will be able to see a rotation. So one side of the, of the rib cage will be slightly higher. Um, it's a little bit more difficult to see in the lumbar spine, um, but that basically shows the, the rotation. And then we know it's a, it's a structural scoliosis. So it's about, I mean, looking at the statistics, there's about 2 to 3% of people that have uh, scoliosis. So it's actually quite a big, it's more common probably than people think. A lot of people don't know about it, um, which is fine if it doesn't cause any problems. So it doesn't always mean that just because people have scoliosis that they have back pain. It doesn't always work hand in hand. It's also not what I found out or what I found just working with, with students over the years. Um, the degree of the curve doesn't necessarily correlate to the amount of pain that you experience. So some people might have quite a small curve um, and a lot, lot of pain. And then some people have 
quite a big kind of S-shaped curve and they really look like a question mark from the back and they have no pain or, or very, very um, little pain. Um, so yeah, these are, these are kind of the, the basics around scoliosis. Um, what is important to, to know, and um, obviously every yoga teacher will have an intake form. If you're not specifically working therapeutically, with scoliosis, you just kind of need to know, obviously, the, the, the very basics. Um, I would always ask if someone has had surgery in the past. Um, a lot of people have um, spinal fusion, so that's another big topic. So if scoliosis gets over, it probably depends on the country, but here in the UK, it's kind of the 45-degree mark is where... Um, doctors would start to talk about surgery and that's when people would get um, spinal fusion at the moment they do um, titanium ones or they do these kind of a tethering surgery so where they put little staples into um, anyway let's not go into too much detail um, <laughs> in this area um, but there's different ways of dealing with that but if you come across somebody who's older um, who's kind of in their 60s, they might have these really massive Harrington rods, they're called. And you will see that they are not actually able to move their backs very much. Um, so, yeah, these are kind of the, the, the different types. Most of the time, scoliosis is kind of detected, or hopefully it's detected when when people are young, so in their kind of around kind of 11 12 13 which is usually that's when it starts showing up when the kids go through the growth spurts mm -hmm. and then there's also a degenerative um, scoliosis which happens much later in life so in kind of 60s 70s is another kind of age group where you could see um, scoliosis happening okay so it's it's probably not likely that you're getting somebody who's like in their 20s or 30s who's like kind of just having that pop up like it, it generally happens either to younger or older people then yes um I, they would probably they would have probably known about it already um if they are in their in their 20s okay. it would be it, it doesn't like happen overnight obviously as well <laughs> yeah yeah for sure <laughs> so there <laughs> would have sense. been some some sort sort of signs and again it's during the the growth years when it starts to become really obvious where it can progress um, where it can become a problem so these are kind of the um, the years to to look out for and um, I've I've been asked before if like if you as a yoga teacher if you see that somebody might have scoliosis do you tell them or not yeah so when when you see obviously we're not doctors unless you have a medical medical degree as well mm -hmm. but we're not there to diagnose um, however, I feel that if it's children and if you work with kids, if you do kids yoga and you see signs of it and, um, I personally, I would tell the parents, um, so it's, if it's an adult, I wouldn't tell the person, I wouldn't say, you know, oh, your downward dog looks a bit wonky you probably have scoliosis i think that would be overst overstepping the line 
but if it's a child or teenager um, I would probably just kind of have a a chat with the with the parents for example to to say that there might be um, scoliosis there so um, I, I feel that it's just something that I feel is is important because in in some countries kids don't get screened for scoliosis and there is this window where things can be um, where there's so many treatments that can be really really helpful mm-hmm. and yoga is one of them so um, yes that's just something yeah, no, that's that's all really good stuff to know, especially knowing that I was thinking like it's more relevant working with adults, but definitely something to consider if you're working with teenagers and children as well to be kind of watching the way that their bodies are moving. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that that yoga is something that can be helpful for it. I'm curious, like how yoga can be helpful and when it crosses a line of like being harmful. Mm, yes, that's a great question. Um, so, I mean, from from the kind of uh, from my perspective as having scoliosis, um, just any type of movement um, is going to be good at the end of the day. You know, you you're still you're you, you've got this this condition. The worst thing you can do is nothing. <laughs> Let's face it. So, the worst thing you can do is is just kind of sitting at home and, you know, sitting on your couch and do nothing. Probably, well, the same for everyone, really, you know, and everyone with with um, back pain. So the, I, I feel like even if you don't have any specific scoliosis training, what you have to offer in a yoga class is amazing. You know, we're, we're taking the spine into different um into different motions. We do flexion, extension, we do rotation. Um, this is talking without spinal fusion, fusion, by the way, this is for anyone, for somebody who hasn't had spinal fusion. It's, it's really great to kind of work on the, on flexibility of the spine, on moving, on releasing muscles, moving energy around prana, um, moving around the body. Um, really, really beneficial for scoliosis. It's almost like you're resetting the, the muscles that are permanently contracted in one state. So um, if we kind of think about it, if a person is kind of bent over to one side, there'll be one side which is really, really um, contracted and the muscles are short. And then on the other side, the muscles are long. Um, they're also really tight. Um, muscles are weak. So with just that little bit of movement and with the breath practices, um, we can make such a big difference. Um, and even if that doesn't mean that we straighten someone's spine, which is not the, the, the goal of, of this, is they, you know, they will feel the release, they will feel the benefits. Um, pranayama, body awareness, um, really, really important for somebody with scoliosis because they, from where they start, they sometimes don't know how they are in in space. You know, for them, something feels straight or something feels um, long, but it's not actually. So if you're looking at it as a teacher, you will will see that there is something um, not quite right. Um, So, yeah, I I feel like there's so much that you can offer as a yoga teacher, and that's even without knowing... um, that much, you know, or, or going into detail about um, 
therapeutically working with with someone with scoliosis, which is again different, where you would kind of you would work asymmetrically, so you would address one side of the body different to the other side. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of the second part um, of your question, where can it be harmful? Um, I think, and again, as a there is obviously this this responsibility is is happening both ways. So, as a teacher, it's what you offer, and as a student, it's it's what you take from the teacher. Um, and if somebody is is kind of just trying to do all the uh, you know amazing advanced poses without considering their bodies and without kind of listening to their bodies and and considering especially in the scoliosis curvature then yes of course yoga can start to become harmful but that's again that's probably everyone as well Um, there are some poses that i would um maybe stay away from in the beginning until a student has more awareness definitely um, for scoliosis so that would for example be um, extreme twists Um, it would also be some of the inversions so um, I mean definitely headstand if we're thinking about it from a structural point of view is if there is a curvature in the spine and you're turning yourself upside down and you're then balancing on the most vulnerable part of your spine your neck where there might also be a little curve so just because there's one curve somewhere in the thoracic spine doesn't mean that there's not also something going on in the neck this is where it kind of it has this chain reaction and you know everything starts to um, get a lot of pressure so it's it's just kind of common sense um what else deep um deep back bends uh, with without again without awareness um, just because if you are um, causing compression in the in the spine and there is also a rotation you might be compressing one side more than the other if that makes sense mm-hmm. so like if you are in a in a um, in a cobra or upward dog let's say upward dog where there's a lot of pressure on the lower back and you have a lumbar scoliosis, if you practice without kind of awareness and without doing a little bit of derotation yourself, you are compressing one side more than the other. So again, I, that's why I prefer the slower types of yoga for somebody who's just starting out. Um, and then they can always move on to kind of the faster styles once, once they really understand their bodies and, and really know what's going on exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for all of that. That's so much good stuff. Hey, yogis, we're just taking a quick little break from the podcast to talk about Punch Pass. Are you looking for inspiration as we begin the new year? Today, I want to tell you why studios around the world love Punch Pass studio management software. Charlotte has found that selling her passes online through Punch Pass has helped her cash flow endlessly. An online pre-registration has meant that she always knows how many clients will show up for class. Dan says simply that Punch Pass is just so easy for people, and it makes him and his business look incredibly professional. Marquita says that the team at Punch Pass was attentive to her, which she really appreciated. 
She says that if she had a question, it was going to get answered. Laura introduced PunchPass's memberships so she can automatically collect payment from her clients. She has been amazed at how much energy, excitement, and growth her business has experienced as a result. Amanda was totally overwhelmed with the other software that she was using. She needed something more simple, and she could see that PunchPass seemed to get it. She found it quick and easy to move from one software into another, into PunchPass, and she loves how PunchPass provides her with usable information at her fingertips. Head on over to punchpass.com forward slash MBOM to read more stories about people who have transformed their businesses with PunchPass. And you are invited to try PunchPass for free for two weeks and see for yourself how it might work for you. Once again, it's punchpass.com forward slash MBOM. Okay, back to the episode. And as you were talking, I was thinking about how it is like the responsibility on both sides, like with the student and the teacher, because I, I think a lot like from the teacher side of things and I'm like, okay, well, you know, how as teachers do we make our, our classes more accessible? And I think that, you know, it sounds like there's lots of ways that we, we can do that. Maybe you have more suggestions that we can talk about, but I think that part of it is as a practitioner, knowing your own personal limits. So I guess I'm curious if, if people are suffering from scoliosis or if they have scoliosis or back pain, do you suggest that they start with private sessions or, you know, where, where do you start as somebody with scoliosis? Or if you have somebody asking you about that as a teacher, where do you, where do you send them mm. to begin with? Yes. Um, I would, well, first of all, I send it back to their doctor. <laughs> Health and safety, um, um, you know, precaution, making sure that they are okay um, to, to practice yoga. Most of the times the um, doctors would recommend it and it's probably kind of the only thing that, um, you know, they that they would say, you know, you have to stay active, you have to keep moving. Um if they are kind of out of the out of treatment and everything, um, and then I would say um, to yes to practice probably first one on one a few sessions. Now it depends on the degree of the scoliosis. If somebody has quite a mild scoliosis and doesn't have pain, um, they might be very they might be very happy in a group class and they might really benefit from that until they may, might, you know, they might get to a point where they, once they have more body awareness, then all of a the sudden they become a little bit more aware of the imbalances, which is kind of what happened to me. Um, whereas I was very happy in, in being in a, in a group class and I enjoyed that dynamic. And I think that's really important as well, practicing with other people. Um, but then obviously there comes a point when you become more a little bit more advanced in your in your practice when you become more aware of these things when you might want to um, have someone who who looks at you one on one and gives you really that special attention. Um, if someone has a spinal fusion and they haven't done yoga before, um, I would not take them in a group class. I would say that they need to come to a to a one to one session. Um, if they have been practicing yoga before, then they will know how to move. They will, they will know what, what they need to do and they probably know um, themselves what they can and what they can't do. So, um, yes, I, I think it, it kind of depends on what's going on. Also, it, with, with pain, um, if there is a lot of pain, if there is a lot of things going on, 
Um, and there might be other conditions obviously related to that. So scoliosis doesn't always come or hardly ever comes in isolation. There might be other things going on. So I've got a lady at the moment, she's got uh, spinal stenosis and scoliosis. So she has got a huge amount of pain. Um, there might be disc problems, there might be bulging discs. Um, yeah, there might be all sorts of other problems. So if that's the case, then obviously it becomes more complicated. And that's when you would want to to work with, with someone one-on-one -on -one and really see what works for them and, and what doesn't. And then once they are kind of happy with that and once you are confident that they will actually only do what um, what suits them or what feels good in their bodies, then you can take them in, in your group class as well. Okay, awesome. So number one thing is always making sure that they're checking in with their doctors since we're not doctors yeah. as yoga teachers. And then from there, having that conversation. And I guess, so for somebody like me, I mean, I don't feel like I'm qualified to do a one-on-one -on -one session with somebody specifically with scoliosis, but obviously it's something that I think would be great to feel more confident in for, for yoga teachers and for, for yoga teachers, you know, what are, what are some good ways to start learning more about scoliosis so that we can, you know, make our privates more accessible, make our group classes more accessible? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I would say, um, again, you know, what you have to offer is, is already amazing. Um, so I wouldn't turn anyone away because they have scoliosis. Um, so whatever you're, you're offering and the, you know, the, the pranayama and, and, um, you know, the, the movements. And if you are working with, with someone mindfully one-on-one, -on -one, you will, you know, you will learn for, first of all, about um, scoliosis just this way. Um, and it will be really beneficial for, for them as well. So it works both ways. And then obviously, yes, if you if you want to kind of get more into it and, and learn more about it, um, you can definitely, you can check out my, my YouTube channel. So I've got hundreds of videos on, on there um, about yoga for scoliosis and different uh, curvature types so I kind of classify it into the the main curves there are s curves that look like an s from the back there are c curves um, there's some very typical curve patterns that that um, you will see when you so I own I I only have people with scoliosis nowadays and there are definitely patterns that you see over and over again um, so if this is something that that you are interested in, then um, I would just you know kind of look into all the the information you can get from um, my YouTube channel. There's Elise Browning Miller is in um, in the US. She's got some fabulous resources. She's got an amazing book called Yoga for Scoliosis, which is for both for students and for teachers. And I use it all the time for anything um, that I do. Um, what else? There are a few books um, about yoga for scoliosis, but that is probably the one I would recommend first because it's very, it's got great photographs. It's relatively simple, so you don't need um, millions of things. <laughs> um, yes, she does use props, but not an excessive amount of props. 
That's why I like it. And it's written in a, in a really clear and very simple way as well. Um, I have um, a Facebook group called Yoga for Scoliosis Community. And there are people, it started with only people who have scoliosis themselves. So there's about 2,000 members now. Um, so most of them have scoliosis and then there are some teachers in there as well. And I love, you know, kind of connecting teachers and students as well. If if there is somebody who, who knows about scoliosis, who wants to work with students with scoliosis, then that's a kind of a, a great way to to um, match them up. And then obviously on my on my website, there's plenty of um, information as well. There's the National Scoliosis Association in the US, which have a great website for resources. We've got um, Scoliosis Association in the UK, um, who also have a lot of information. So yes, there's plenty of, of um, resources, if that's something that you want to kind of learn a little bit more about. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Thank you so much for all of those. And I'm curious, guess on a, on like more of a broad level, um, mm-hmm. we were talking a little bit about the challenge of group classes earlier. How do you how do how do you suggest making your your group classes accessible to you know people with with scoliosis, people with with back pain? And um, I feel like this is like accessibility is is definitely a big conversation because there's so many ways that you want to make your classes accessible. But I guess I'm curious your thoughts specifically for, you know, this group of people, how do we make sure that they feel welcome in our classes? Mm. Yes. Um, it, it kind of, it probably depends on, on the, the style of, of yoga that, um, that you are teaching. Um, so for for scoliosis, it's I, I feel language is a is a really big part. Um, so we have to keep in mind that so people with scoliosis they have a curvature in the spine. Doctors might have been talking about deformity, which is a really nasty word I find. So already you think um, you're inadequate. There's something wrong with you. Um, you know that you're not very good. So a lot of times those people already that they come to a yoga class is amazing (laughs) that they make the step to go into a group class. And then obviously once they're there, you don't want to put them off um, by, you know, kind of using the type of language. So what I, from my point of view, what I always found quite irritating um, is, is teachers just constantly adjusting me. And adjustments can be very helpful in in the right kind of environment, in the right settings. But I think we also have to be mindful of what these sort of adjustments, um, and I'm sure you have a, probably a podcast episode about adjustments. <laughs> yeah, Shannon, Shannon and I actually had a did an episode together talking about you know adjustments versus assists. You know, if yes. we if we should have. Yeah. some sort of a, not a degree, but like a certification, like if you mm. should be certified in massage or Thai massage or something to actually be touching people. We, we, we had a pretty, pretty good conversation around it. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's a conversation that I love to have with yoga teachers because I'm always sort of like, sometimes I love being adjusted. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, that doesn't feel good. Yeah. So we have to be yeah. cautious for sure about touching people. I think, especially like, I I feel like for me as a yoga teacher, like 
if you came to my class and I'm watching your body and I see that there's something in your body that's different from my body, mm. who am I to like go and try to manipulate that with my hands? Like that just feels so inappropriate to me in terms yes. of what my scope of teaching is, what my scope mm. of practice is. Absolutely. And um, yeah, so I, I, I have felt this um, quite a bit in, in classes before in, in the very kind of uh, very precise classes kind of more a younger style of classes where where teachers have like physically adjusted me and and you know you can feel kind of the emotions coming up and you feel like you know you're not good enough this is not you know you're doing something wrong so I, I think we do have to kind of keep the emotional side um, of any conditions um, like this for example you have to keep this in mind so I very rarely adjust with my hands, um, people in a in a group class, um, and I would always ask. I would always say, you know, may I touch you? And this is my my um, teacher Judith Hansen Lasseter. She's very much, you know, she she's kind of hammered this into us. <laughs> you always ask before you before you touch someone. Mm -hmm. But I feel like you can use your voice. Um, very very effectively without touching someone so there's a lot of things you can say for example in a downward dog if you if you see that you know the hips are moving over to one side and it they just kind of look looks like a banana shape in their downward dog you you could say something like maybe i would suggest to lengthen um, the right side of your waist a little bit more so i, I always talk about creating space um, so I don't say move your hips over to the left, but I would say, can you create more space in the right side of your body? Can you create more space on the left side of your rib cage? And I feel that this is a much better way for, for people to learn to, to um, um, increase their, their body awareness at the end of the day, rather than you physically moving them into the, into the pose, how you want it to be. Um, which might not be the the right thing for the person. Now that is different in a in a in a one to one session. So in a one to one session, I would, um, with their permission, obviously, I would kind of guide them sometimes with my hands, very light touch. So I always use very very light touch, and sometimes a little de rotation or a little bit of lengthening can can make um, quite a big difference. So yeah, I think I, I feel like. Definitely assisting or adjusting is, is, is a very big, um, big part of kind of making a, a class welcoming to, to people, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I love, I love that, that piece of advice. And I think it's really interesting. I was thinking about as you were talking how we have this like big conversation of accessibility that's, that's happening in the yoga world. And I think that this definitely is a part of it. But it was making me think about how, you know, part of making people feel welcome isn't making people feel like they're different than anyone else. Mm. <laughs> so it's it's kind of like making sure that you're watching them and that they're practicing safely and, you know, asking them any questions that might need to be asked, but also not treating them like they're like a piece of China in a store or something like that. Like trusting that people have this ability to feel into their own bodies and, and empowering them to do so as a teacher to, you know, yes. make their yes. own decisions about how something feels and then hold space for them to 
come out of it if it doesn't feel good or to move into something different. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of Absolutely. kind of an interesting thought that I was having as you were saying that. Mm, definitely. Amazing. Is there any other tips you have kind of about scoliosis specifically before we we shift? I want to talk a little bit more about your Mm -hmm. business before we wrap up, but do you have anything else you want to share kind of more specifically on the scoliosis side? Yeah, these were kind of the the main things that I wanted to make sure that I, that I bring across. Another one is, um, is in terms of language is um, sometimes yoga teachers talk about a straight spine. So sit up with a straight spine so this is, again, it's just something that, that can trigger people who don't have a straight spine. <laughs> so I, I would rather um, that teachers would talk about lengthening the spine rather than, than straight. Um, that's just kind of a, a small kind of language thing. Yeah, I think that that's, that's great. I feel like language is such a key part about you know, teaching, teaching well and teaching at a, at a higher level and, mm-hmm. and also making people feel welcome. So that's, that's a really great tip. I love that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, what are some of the top business lessons that you've learned throughout your, your yoga business throughout, you know, teaching kids yoga, teaching to teenagers, family yoga, developing this, the specific niche in scoliosis? What have, what have you learned along the way? Um, I've oh this it's been such a steep learning curve for me definitely over over the last um, five years because I, I do have the, the marketing background I've got to say it's a marketing background so communication and all of that it's always and promoting my business has 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 come um, not easily to me it's it's definitely it's been difficult all of the sudden uh, promoting myself <laughs> rather than you know working for a company the whole kind of uh, self-employment journey um, it's definitely been a very very big learning curve for me um, so what I've learned uh, this yeah it's hard to narrow it down I've definitely learned that asking for help um, can be so in the beginning, I, I kind of didn't, not didn't want help, but I thought I can't uh, afford help or, um, yeah, I should figure this all out on my own. But I feel like just having a network. Um, so I, I've always been working with with coaches just pretty much from the beginning, from kind of um, creating your vision, your mission and all of that, having a strategy, having some sort of plan or longer term plan in place or I've always worked with other people to get there because I think if you're very as a a yoga teacher if you're self-employed and you're just kind of occupied with yourself it's sometimes difficult to um um, to get out of this and kind of come back to the to the bigger picture so that's that's definitely one of the things Um, having a network of of people of other yoga teachers um, in your local area, um, that's been that's been a huge thing. So not only for cover classes, which is very important, obviously, um, but also like to refer students to each other. So um, you know, if I if I have someone, I know someone, for example, in my local area who works with athletes. So if I know someone has got kind of um, he's an athlete or has got a sports 
injury or I know they are very much into sports, I will send them her way. Um, you know, if someone really likes that power yoga, I would send them, you know, to, to someone else. If, if someone um, has kind of has lots of back issues, hopefully they would send them to me. So it, it kind of it works both ways. So I think having this this network has been really, really important for me. Um, another thing is is kind of the the technology. I think sometimes um, yoga teachers get a bit scared of all the the technology and you know, do I need a website and do I need this? Do I need that? And I feel like, it's, it's sometimes not an excuse, but um, it's all easier than we think it is. <laughs> as, as soon as we kind of get going and get started with it, um, it, it makes such a big difference. And investing in technology um, has also been kind of a huge part for me. So just kind of website, I, I did it on my own, but I did... Um, pay for the for the software that I use for the um, uh, WordPress um, kind of plugin around my Word, WordPress website. Um, you know anything booking systems, um, things like that, email marketing, and all of that. Um, sometimes you just have to pay for things. So that's kind of what I learned in the beginning. I didn't want to spend any money on marketing, nothing. Um, but then you you learn that. You, you get so much more back when you actually start to invest in you, in your in your business and take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all so such good tips, things that I talk about a lot on the podcast, things I learned personally as well. I feel like asking for help and investing are two things that are really hard, especially if asking for help means paying for paying for somebody's services. Cause I think that you know, it's tough when you see your money coming in and you're barely paying the bills and you're like, well, it's not the time to pay for things. But yeah, investing in yourself and your business is something that's that's really, really important. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And now I have someone who helps me with my with my admin and and it's it's been such a, a big um well, I, I had lots of resistance about, you know, paying someone else to do this even though I can do it, you know, it's not like I, I don't know how to do it, but just because you can do it doesn't, doesn't mean that you should be spending all your time on this. So I, I feel like it's really important to really focus on what you do really well and what you enjoy doing and then leave the rest to, to someone else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And so final question for you, there's lots of new yoga teachers listening to the podcast and I'm curious if you could give them one tip as a new yoga teacher, what would it be? Mm. Um, I think in the beginning, especially of kind of looking back at my journey in the beginning, um, you think you need loads of qualifications and you spend a lot of time um, training and getting one qualification after the other. That's definitely what... Um, what I was doing in the beginning to kind of get myself into a state where I felt like, okay, I, to be able to teach. Um, but I, I feel like what is much more important is that you actually start teaching. And even if it's just your, your friends in the beginning, you know, even if it's just 
people that you know, but that's how you learn. You will learn so much more than by getting loads of qualifications. And trainings are important, of course, but um, the confidence, is it really comes with um, seeing lots of different bodies and teaching and um, finding your voice and kind of getting the 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 practical experience. Yeah, absolutely. I love that tip. And I think that that's, yeah, something that I am a big fan of. And something that I, I did when I started teaching was just starting to teach and it was scary and it didn't feel right. But mm. looking back on it now, I'm so glad that I just jumped in right away when I got home from training because yes. it's always going to feel scary if you haven't done something before. Yes, absolutely. And then if I can add one thing, <laughs> I yeah, know it course. was only one, one topic. Oh, of course. Yeah. But if we're talking about um, social media, I think now as yoga teachers, it's such a big, we're kind of being told we need to be everywhere. We need to be on social media and we need to do all this, this work. And, and it is important. I mean, I spend, um, I, obviously I have a, a YouTube channel, so um, I do, this is my social media. Um, but I think you kind of need to spend your time where where you feel comfortable, first of all. And then it doesn't matter how many followers you are. So I think that is another big thing that I've learned over the last um, five years. And I actually started my business as a, as a blog. So I started only with blogging. So social media was kind of all there was. <laughs> um and in the beginning, it was all about getting more followers on Instagram, getting more followers here, getting more followers on Facebook and Twitter and everything. And it's really only when I started niching down and specializing in this yoga for scoliosis world where I then completely started again from zero. So I um, created a new Instagram account. I you know, built up the, the YouTube channel from nothing. Um, I realized that the number of followers doesn't have anything to do with the return that you get. So now I, I have a small following, but they will engage. You know, I get loads of questions on YouTube. I will get emails. I get people um, contacting me from the other part, the other side of London. They travel two hours to come and see me, um, which at the end of the day is so much more important than having five million followers. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that quality over quantity is a huge thing that we need to remember, especially in today's world where there's so much gratification and uh, yeah, gratification around having a big following. Like yes, yeah. I, I also have a travel podcast that my husband and I do together and we went to a travel blogging conference a couple of years ago and it was it was kind of before podcasting had become super mainstream. And I'm not even sure if podcasting has like hit its peak in terms of being mainstream yet, but people were really not interested in knowing our podcasting numbers. And I was like, we have like good numbers for like an indie podcast. They were just like, how many followers do you have on social media? And I was like, this is not what I'm here for. Like, I am not doing this to get a bunch of followers on Instagram and to, to mm. do things for likes. Like if that's how this works, then I don't really want to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it is hard to remember that, you know, we don't need a massive following to be successful. So thank you for sharing that. Mm. Yeah. You, you can definitely get really hung up on, um, on numbers, I think. And that's the way social media is designed at the end of the day as well. So um, it's just kind of, 
keeping that in mind, isn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. It'll make you crazy. Like even the way that algorithms, like I can't keep up with those algorithms, what they're doing. It's Mm -hmm. like one day I get good amount of engagement on posts. The next day I get almost no engagement. And I'm like, you know what? I could like go crazy trying to figure this out, but I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. Everything, everything will be fine. (laughs) Mm, Exactly. (laughs) This conversation has been amazing, Christine. I've loved chatting with you today. I'm curious, where can people go to find you if they want to learn more about your work, maybe work with you and that sort of thing? Um, Yes. So my website is um, yogaberry.net and you can find me on YouTube as Yogaberry UK. I mean, uh, if you type in uh, Yogaberry, you will find it straight away. Um, On Instagram, I'm yogaberry.scoliosis. And then you can find me on my um, Facebook group. So if you have scoliosis or if you are a teacher who who wants to um, teach people with scoliosis or you want to kind of specialize in this area or just learn more, then I've got a Facebook group um, which is called Yoga for Scoliosis Community. So again, if you type this um, into Facebook, then you will you will find it straight away. So it's a, it's a great way to connect as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Christine. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I hope that everyone enjoyed that episode of the podcast with Christine. Make sure you go check her out at yogaberry.net. Of course, there'll be links to that in the show notes at mbomyoga.com. You can also find posts and all the information for everything that's going on with MBOM and the podcast on social media at Mastering the Business of Yoga. And of course, you can join the private Facebook community at Yoga Business Badasses. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, make sure you reach out, info at mbomyoga.com. Otherwise, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Namaste.